0: Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck.
1: Welcome to Go Green Radio, everyone. Glad that you could join us. Today's topic, like all of our topics, are important uh, because they, they deal with your health, the health of your family, the health of the uh, natural resources that we have come to depend on for our standard of living. And we have Jonathan Kaplan, who's the Director of Food and Agriculture and a Senior Policy Specialist at the Natural Resources Defense Council joining us today. And we're going to be talking about an issue that really isn't new, except that new scientific discoveries have proven that something that's been going on for a few decades may be harmful to our health. And that issue is the use of non-therapeutic, meaning not for sick animals, of antibiotics given to animals that will end up as food on our plates. And we're going to be talking about this practice, uh, why it came into being, and what the problems are, why we should be concerned about um, serving our families these types of meats treated with these antibiotics. So, Jonathan, welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad to have you back on.
2: Great, thanks, Jill. Good to be back.
1: Well, we had such fun talking with you before um, that it's great to have you back. And let's dive right into this subject. All right. Why? Why is it standard operating practice, SOP, to administer antibiotics to animals that are raised for human consumption? I mean, are we being fed sick animals, or is there some other reason why this has become so standard?
2: Well, it's a good question. Um, I, you know, had no idea before I got into this issue how our animal agriculture really works, um, and its uh, wholesale dependency on antibiotics to produce the animals that end up on our dining room tables. If most of the antibiotics used in this country, about 80% of all antibiotics sold, are actually used in animal agriculture. So human use is is the minority uh, of drug sales. Most of it goes to livestock operators. And most of that, um, about 80% of that 80%, is used for... Um, non-therapeutic uses, which means it's given to animals that don't actually have a disease necessarily, but instead is being used uh, to promote faster growth, make the animals fatter, quicker, and to prevent disease that would otherwise occur because these animals are living in such crowded, stressed, filthy, uh, confined feedlots. So um, a lot of the the use is for disease prevention because the animals are under so much disease pressure in these feedlots. And, of course, there is some use for actual sick animals, but that's a very, very small percentage of the total. Here's
1: what doesn't make sense to me about that, Jonathan. I mean, you know, if I take my kids to the pediatrician and say, I've heard that there's, you know... Uh, strip throat going around. I don't want my kids to get it. Can I get some antibiotics to prevent that from happening? Prevent them from getting strep throat? What do you think my pediatrician is going to say?
2: He's going to laugh at you.
1: Yeah, we don't use antibiotics that way, not in so, humans. Why are yeah. we using them that way in animals?
2: It's crazy. Uh, and in fact, if you walked into a, a drugstore, you know, in an agricultural region of the country, and you ask your pharmacist to just hand over some antibiotics because you felt like taking them, the pharmacist will just look at you funny and say, where's your prescription? But if you then walk down the street to a feedlot store where, you know, where they sell animal feed, they'll actually sell you a 50-pound bag of feed full of antibiotics and, you know, no questions asked. And it's actually, it can even be the same drug that you're asking for. So wow. it's, um, it's, it's really literally the Wild West here um, in terms of antibiotic use in, in agriculture.
1: Now, why were these antibiotics first introduced to our animal food supply? Was there a problem with our food safety that this was supposed to fix? I mean, what was the genesis of this practice?
2: It turns out that uh, somebody discovered that if you fed pigs low-levels of antibiotics, it makes them grow faster. And there were some initial reports of, um, you know, substantial increases in productivity, and it became an industry-wide pattern. And I think since then, use has steadily increased uh, as our livestock system has become very integrated and very industrialized. We have, you know, this country, our livestock system has Uh, undergone a radical transformation over the last several decades from a pastoral farm-based system where animals are dispersed on um, lots of different farms and and slaughtered there to one where, um, you know, a a small number of companies now have huge confined feedlots, and most of our animals are are grown and raised there, certainly in poultry and, and swine, for example. And, As these animals, um, you know, as our industry becomes more and more uh, capitalized around these confined industrial feedlots, there's more and more need for antibiotics to keep the animals alive and enable them to survive in these very unhospitable living environments.
1: So the bottom line is the genesis of this antibiotic use in feed animals was not for human health purposes it didn't make the food more nutritious uh didn't necessarily improve food safety that wasn't the idea uh as far as i can tell in terms of food prices we haven't seen yeah. anything yeah, breaks Exactly <laughs> so, you're exactly right no
2: yeah this was this is a practice that was started for economic gain you know it's, make my animals grow faster, quicker, that's more profitable. Um, And that motive continues today. And we're, you know, using millions of pounds of um, antibiotics as a result, I saw. There was a a publication in Nature, which is a very prestigious scientific journal, um, which said that it takes, that that every pound of meat and eggs produced in this country is produced with about a third of a pound of antibiotics. It's a big number.
1: That is. That really is, especially when I know that any of our listeners who are parents out there know that it's getting increasingly difficult to walk in and get antibiotics for your kids. Um, We'll talk about that in a little bit. I mean, the difference between um, how available antibiotics are to humans and what you're describing with the meat production industry is is so different, it's hard to get my head around it. I mean, this is pretty... um, this is a real revelation for me um, to understand this. Now, you had mentioned about the antibiotics being in the feed that animals get. I mean, is that the chief way that the antibiotics are administered, or do farmers also go around injecting individual animals, you know, getting shots? Or how does this actually make it into their bodies?
2: Right. Um, most of so, our our biggest concern is around the use of steady, repeated, uh, you know, uh, dosing with antibiotics at low levels to a large group of animals, to the entire herd or flock. And that turns out to be how most of the antibiotics are used, that they're put into the feed and into the water. So the animals are literally, you know, consuming this on a daily, ongoing basis or for large stretches of time, you know, weeks at a time. And that turns out to be the perfect, uh, storm, if you will, for brewing superbugs, for breeding antibiotic-resistant bacteria. When you regularly administer uh, low levels of antibiotics to a large number of animals, uh, you're you're going to create some. You're going to find bacteria that are resistant to antibiotics eventually, and those bacteria will then flourish, and and breed, and that's when you have a problem.
1: Mm-hmm. So and we're going to get into the specifics of, of exactly what that means to the human population in a little bit. Yeah. What does it mean to the animals?
2: Well, you know, I don't know. I, I um, you know, it's hard to ask the animals. Uh, certainly, <laughs> sure. if, if you're, if, if antibiotics are being used for disease prevention and the, antibiotic, the, the animals are living, under a lot of disease pressure, I have to think that that's not a very good life for the animals. You know, my my money is on um, there being much happier animals in systems where the animals are healthy enough that they don't need to be on drugs, their you know, most of their lives to mm-hmm. to withstand all these diseases. So animals that are in cleaner facilities, that are less stressed, that are less crowded, those animals tend not to need antibiotics, and I think those are the happier animals. You know, I, yeah. I would just add that while my organization, NRDC, doesn't work on animal welfare issues uh, explicitly, explicitly, that's just sort of not part of our mission, there is an animal welfare issue here. There's, you know, I, I would argue that there's a serious ethical problem with our livestock industry and the way it treats animals today. Uh, Billions of animals are being produced in conditions that are mostly pretty miserable. And the use of antibiotics uh, kind of props up that system. And I I think there's some synergy here between uh, reducing antibiotic use and improving the lives of these animals.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and even if you are the most cynical, insensitive, you know, person that really doesn't care if chickens and pigs are happy... um, Even if what you really hope for is the healthiest possible food to feed yourself and your family, um, there's definitely a case to be made uh, for the very same conditions um, and the human health impact of of healthier conditions for animals. Now talk just a little bit more about this correlation between the administration of antibiotics to farm animals and the emergence of these drug-resistant bacteria. Expand on what you were talking about just a little bit
2: before. Sure. So, you know, as I was saying, if you wanted to design uh, a facility to breed super super superbugs, antibiotic-resistant bacteria, pathogens, you really couldn't do a better job than the conventional American feedlot. I mean, they really are like the the perfect uh, mechanism to create these bacteria because there's there's so much bacteria in these facilities, and you got so many animals. Um, the, the there are lots of studies which show that when you start um, using antibiotics on a regular basis in your feedlot, you will be generating antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And there are then lots of studies which show that these bacteria escape from the facility. Um, they're in the water that leaves the facility. Uh, They colonize the workers that are in these facilities who then go home to their families and communities. Uh, The bacteria have been found in dust around the facilities, and it's on the meat. Uh, There have been lots of studies. In fact, uh, FDA maintains a regular database showing that most of the meat that you buy in the store has bacteria on it, and most of that um, or, or frequently that bacteria is resistant to one or more antibiotics. You know, one of the most compelling studies uh, was this one done a long time ago, it was done in the 70s, and uh, a researcher uh, went to a farm, the poultry farm, and measured uh, the bacteria in the stool in a, in a fecal matter of the chickens and of the workers and the community members. And... This is a farm where no antibiotics were being used. No antibiotics had been used there for seven years. Okay, so this is a clean operation. And the researchers went in, took all their samples, found, uh, few, you know, low levels of, or near zero levels of antibiotic resistant bacteria. And then the farm started using antibiotics in its operation. And in the first week, most of the chickens had antibiotic bacteria in their droppings in the manure. And within three months, most of the people had it in theirs. Um, wow. You know, it's a—I like to think about those researchers trying to collect all those stool samples from the farmers. And community members <laughs> yeah, It's very interesting. But <laughs> even more exciting or, or more disturbing in that study is that not only did all the workers um, and community members now have this antibiotic resistance, Bacteria in their system, their dietary uh, or their intestinal tract, but those bacteria um, were resistant to four other antibiotics that weren't even included in the chicken feed. Wow. So there's another part of the story which is very chilling, and that is that these antibiotic-resistant bacteria can pass on their resistance trait to other antibiotics, to which they were not exposed. Wow. On so, that
1: note, we're going to, have to take a quick break, but we're going to dive even deeper into this issue when we come back. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: News. 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 Opinion. 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 Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787.
3: VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to change your relationships, your business, your body, and your life? You'll want to tune in to Transformation Talk Radio with host Tony Litster. It's an inspiring hour of conversation, special guests, and wisdom that has made Tony an expert with personal life experience. His down-to-earth style will give you the keys to unlock your greatest potential. Listen for Transformation Talk Radio, live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listening can truly change your life come
0: back to your senses imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense host leah brenda smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life it's all about how you respond to your thoughts a little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life tune in to come back to your senses radio live every thursday at 4 p.m eastern time 1 p.m pacific time on the voice america variety channel For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. (laughs) VoiceAmerica.com.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could tune in if you happen to just be joining us. Today our guest is Jonathan Kaplan. He's the Director of Food and Agriculture and a Senior Policy Specialist at the Natural Resources Defense Council, also known as the NRDC. And we're talking about the use of antibiotics in farm animals and how that can actually end up being quite a concern in terms of human health and uh, human health impacts. So we're talking about that practice. And during the last segment we talked about how this practice Came into being as a way to make the animals grow bigger faster. Uh, it wasn't something that was necessarily instituted to make food more nutritious or the price of food cheaper or to make it uh, you know more healthy for humans, but actually something that would um, impact the economics of the uh, the food production itself. Um, and so we're talking about how um, the antibiotic use. Uh, non-therapeutic, again, that means not to sick animals, but just the indiscriminate use to a whole herd, can result in antibiotic-resistant bacteria. And just before we went on break, uh, Jonathan was talking about how those drug-resistant bacteria can actually... Uh, spin off the farm, <laughs> where they're initially uh, embedded in the animals that are receiving these non-therapeutic doses of antibiotics, and out into the environment. And I'd like for you to talk about that more, Jonathan. How does this bacteria make it off the farm and out into the environment?
2: Yeah, Jill, you're becoming a real expert on this. Watch out. You could have a second career here. <laughs> um, Just listening to the
1: experts. That's yeah. my job. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, there, there are several different pathways by which these bacteria can get out of the feedlot, out of the uh, industrial, you know, livestock operation and into our homes and communities. Um, the most obvious way is on the meat. The, the bacteria do travel on the meat through the supply chain in the grocery store uh, and right to your, you know, kitchen table where you bring it home. Um, that's one pathway. It may or may not be the most important pathway. Others include uh, um, escaping the feedlots in the air, in the water, um, you know, discharged into rivers and streams, um, and in the workers who work in these facilities, who are who have you know much higher prevalence of being colonized by antibiotic-resistant bacteria, and those workers then go home to their families and communities and become a source of exposure there. And once these bugs are in the environment, um, you know, there are lots of different um, exposure pathways. They can jump from person to person, uh, animal to person, person to animal. So it becomes more and more difficult to sort of trace back the source. But Mm -hmm. scientists have been able to very clearly identify Um, and, you know, corroborate the fact that we're we're breeding these bacteria in the livestock facilities. We're finding them along these pathways, food, water, workers, and we're finding them infecting humans, um, making us sick, causing diseases like MRSA, um, you know, infections that are, are very hard to treat. Mm-hmm. and it's, it's often difficult to follow an individual microbe you know, along that path, but uh, it's a pretty compelling case when you, when you look at all that evidence, and the scientific community, as a result, is saying loudly and clearly that, hey, this is a fight alarm fire. We have to really deal with this.
1: And why is that? I mean, for a lot of average Americans, if we get sick, we go to the doctor, and eventually we get well. Um, and, and bacteria certainly is nothing new. Um, you know, we live with bacteria. We always have. Why is this particular issue causing such alarm?
2: Well, uh, antibiotic-resistant infections is no laughing matter. This is... Um, you know, a a health threat that takes uh, 80 or 90,000 American lives every year. So this is a a disease that kills us. MRSA alone, um, which is a methicillin-resistant staph infection, basically, uh, takes more people than HIV, AIDS does in this
0: country. Mm
2: -hmm. So this is a pretty serious, um, uh, you know, health threat, and... The, the trajectory is that it's going to get worse because antibiotic resistance increases just by the math um, as you have more resistant bugs that aren't being um, killed off by the antibiotics. Their, their populations are growing. And meanwhile, the number of new antibiotics uh, that would, you know, try to offset their, the growing resistance is is Declining, we're actually seeing very few new antibiotic drugs in the pipeline. So um, that is, you know, a, a, a set of trends that is cause for real concern.
1: Mm-hmm. That maybe uh, modern medicine at this point can't heal us. You know, that that's, that's something. It's something new—a bacteria that. Uh, we haven't seen before, as you mentioned, superbugs. Um, that's a, a bit of a different story than just your run-of-the-mill bacteria. But what are organizations like, you know, organizations we trust, like the American Medical Association, the American Pediatrics Association, and the Center for Disease Control saying about this issue? I mean, are they speaking up about the use of antibiotics in farm animals? Is, do they, they have an, an official position? Talk to us about that.
2: They are, yes. The, the World Health Organization, the, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the American Medical Association, the Society of Infectious Diseases, uh, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, you know, pretty much any mainstream health organization has come out and said uh, in writing, in testimony to Congress, in its educational materials, that the use of antibiotics in animal agriculture poses a threat, that there is clear evidence that it is breeding pathogens that put people at risk and that the future use of our antibiotics is in danger because of this practice. And there are, there are lots of quotes. Uh, you can visit our website and, and read more about that. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's very little disagreement um, on the medical side. Uh, and really the only voice that you hear doubting the health risk. Is the livestock industry, and uh, frequently uh, the, the vets, the, the um, you know the veterinary spokespeople who are in charge of administering these drugs for the livestock industry, and, and who make their living doing that. So it's kind of um, you know disappointing actually to see whenever there's uh, an industry argument against this. Uh, assertion of of a health threat here, you find that the voice is usually a vet uh, making an argument about uh, human medicine and and human health, and in fact, most of the doctors who treat humans don't agree with that.
1: How is it possible that all of these reputable organizations um, on the human health side could be Quelled <laughs> by uh, a much smaller or you know uh, representation of of interests um, that are not associated with human health. When when it comes to testifying before Congress, how how is it possible that uh, that the human health experts aren't winning on this?
2: Um, <laughs> That is a very good question and I'm afraid, you know, that's where I get the most depressed. Uh, you know, with the, there are a lot of politics in, involved here and the Food and Drug Administration, which has jurisdiction over this issue, the, you know, the FDA has the job of regulating antibiotics in animal agriculture. They have continued to allow business as usual, even though they, too, have recognized and stated publicly that there is a health threat from this practice. Uh, you know, I, I have to believe that that agency is under enormous political pressure from two very powerful interest groups. you got the pharmaceutical industry on one hand, no small... Um, uh, constituency there, and the American livestock industry on the other. And, mm-hmm. you know, just uh, if, if you don't fully appreciate the power of those two industries, you know, take take the livestock industry as an example. Just this week we read that USDA had published uh, on its website that it was going to promote meatless Mondays in in mm-hmm. their cafeteria, not a policy position, just a mere you know, internal initiative to green their cafeteria and have more environmentally friendly menu choices and uh, a Meatless Monday initiative, um, you know, in their cafeteria. And, you know, they were attacked in public by the, the National Cattlemen's Association, and within 24 hours, that website and that program disappeared. I mean, that well, Jonathan,
1: all of us remember what happened to Oprah Winfrey
2: Exactly. When she again.
1: decided that, you know, when when this whole scare about mad cow disease um, happened, and she made mention of, you know, not wanting to eat a cheeseburger or something, oh my goodness, she was sued and it was in court in Texas and uh, ended up paying a million or so dollars for that. Uh, you know, I mean, nobody wants to end up in that position, and that is a tremendous amount of pressure. And so one. Can understand that. We've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll talk more about the human health impacts uh, of treating uh, farm animals with antibiotics, some of the things that we should be looking at in terms of action we can take. So don't go away, folks. There's much more Go Green Radio right after this.
0: World. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com.
3: Family caregivers face some tough challenges every day in caring for a partner, parent, child, sibling, friend, neighbor, or even co-worker. You are there to provide the care that these people need after everyone else has gone home. Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley will provide you with a social networking experience. You'll hear from experts and others who are experiencing the same things, and together you will promote a common cause. Tune in to Family Caregivers Unite, live every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety.
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Glad that you could all join us. I just want to give a big thanks to all of our listeners who've been tuning in. You know, we started Go Green Radio four years ago on America's number one internet talk radio station, voiceamerica.com, and I'm so grateful to all of you who tune in week after week to learn more about how to green your lives, how to protect your health and your children's health, um, and to make your community a little bit more environmentally friendly and responsible. And so I thank all of our listeners for tuning in. If you're just tuning in with us now, I want to bring you up to speed. We're talking about the non-therapeutic, in other words, Uh, not given to sick animals, um, the use of antibiotics in animals that will end up as food. Uh, This is something that is becoming increasingly alarming as we see drug-resistant bacteria being formed in the uh, bodies of these animals who are given low doses of antibiotics. And we're talking with Jonathan Kaplan from the Natural Resources Defense Council. If you want to check out some of the great resources they have on their website on this issue – Don't close this tab in your web browser. Keep listening to us on VoiceAmerica.com. But open a new tab, and you can go to www.nrdc.org slash food. And if you scroll down, there's a section called Reducing Antibiotics Overuse in Livestock. And if you click there, you'll see lots of different papers, research, um, and information that you can use to make choices about the kind of food you buy and, and some of the action you might be able to take. You know, we were talking about how difficult it can be to get antibiotics for human infections. I remember when my oldest daughter, who's now 20, almost 21, when she was a baby, she had a lot of ear infections. And initially, it was super easy to go in and say, she's got a flaming ear infection. We get amoxicillin and boom, uh, everything would end up being okay in a couple, three days. Eventually, the amoxicillin didn't work anymore and we had to kick it up to Zithromax. And by the time I had my second and third child, the pediatrician was telling me, look, I don't to give them antibiotics unless they just can't fight this on their own so let's give it a couple three weeks and if they're still suffering which of course as a mom is excruciating that's the longest two or three weeks of your life when your child is not feeling well but, but the pediatrician would say, you know, the overuse of antibiotics is becoming a real problem, so we're going to limit that in humans. What's aggravating to me is that the very opposite seems to be true in our food supply, where we're limiting uh, antibiotics in human use, which is only about 20% of the antibiotics used in this country. The other 80% of antibiotics being sold are going into livestock just Indiscriminately, not even for sick animals, just sticking it in their feed, sticking it in their water. And that, uh, as a result, could impact human health. And we're going to talk more about that. So, uh, Jonathan, did I miss anything? You're a parent, too. How are you feeling about the difference, the disparity between human antibiotic consumption and that which is given to livestock?
2: Yeah, no, it's a double standard, absolutely. And, you know, as I was saying earlier, uh, you can get the same antibiotic. Um, in an animal feed store that you would need a prescription to get if you walk into a drugstore. And I think doctors have made a lot of progress in realizing that they need to be better stewards of these important medicines when they're treating their patients. But, you know, I suspect a lot of them aren't really thinking about what's happening in animal agriculture, that their good work as stewards is being undermined by this, you know, prolific use in, in the livestock sector. And, you know, it's probably not their job to think about it. They're, they're trying to treat their patients, and they're busy. But, you know, we would like to see doctors stepping up and speaking out more about the need for all of society to be better stewards with these drugs, including um, livestock practitioners.
1: Well you know and that's a great point because historically uh, moms who are on a mission are some of the most effective lobbyists and uh, kind of grassroots lobbyists that yep. this nation has ever known even before women had the right to vote they were influencing legislation about child labor laws and immunization uh, and things like that to benefit children and if if pediatricians were on the one hand saying let's see if we can fight this infection off you know without antibiotics and saying look Mom, maybe you ought to think about buying meat that isn't, uh, you know, uh, that doesn't have antibiotics as a part of its, you know, life cycle. I promise you that that education could go a long way in releasing what I like to call the power of the purse, and that is yep. consumers armed with information who wouldn't purchase that stuff and would hence create a strong market for. Uh, livestock or, or meat products that don't use antibiotics.
2: Absolutely. And you know, that's something that NRDC is going to be working on going forward. I think there's a lot of opportunity there.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you, Jonathan, you, you should think about working with the PTA, the Parent Teacher Association. Uh-huh. They're one of my favorites, and uh, I'll tell you, they, they can do a lot of things, those those parents, a lot of moms, <laughs> I have you know, to say.
2: You I'm, know, I'm a parent, too, and I like telling kids' stories. I actually, we had uh, Jacob, my youngest, who's nine years old, had a, a bug bite on his back that infected and inflamed, and we thought, oh, well, that's bad. You know, we should keep an eye on that. And a couple of days went by, and it, this wound, this boil got bigger and bigger and we're like, yeah, actually, it looks kind of serious. Maybe we should take him to the doctor. And we took him to his pediatrician. And I still thought, oh, you know, no big deal. This is just a you know effective bug bite. But mm-hmm. well, the pediatrician took one look at this and said, oh, my God, you have to go to the emergency room right now. And they packed us off to the hospital. The doctor's there, um, you know, ushered him into, uh, you know, an intensive unit. And they they put, or, or not intensive care, but they they put him in a hospital room and hooked him up to an intravenous drip antibiotic um, you know, course where he basically got one of these really intensive second-tier, we really mean it, drugs. Uh-huh. And he turned out to be fine, but we had to wait 48 hours to find out if his infection was going to respond to this course of antibiotics, and it was a pretty... you know, again, a pretty heavy-duty drug they were giving him. And Mm -hmm. if he didn't respond to that, you know, we would have been in a very scary place. And, you know, that's the kind of story that, you know, i have never really heard of until I started working on this issue. But that kind of experience is happening, you know, frequently all over America right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, the, the specter of these medicines not working when you have an illness like this is very, very scary.
1: It is. I mean, you know, we all heard the story of the young woman with flesh-eating bacteria uh, that, you know, they were really having trouble treating her. We heard uh, last summer about cantaloupes and the listeria outbreak and how many people died and became sick because of that. We often hear of lettuce being recalled. And, you know, you and I were talking you know, over the break and how these um, situations, particularly the, the produce, uh, you know, stories being linked to antibiotic use and Farm animals make that connection for us, if you would.
2: Sure, and you know I think it's important to to, to flag that uh, bacteria that are susceptible to antibiotics can also pose a health threat, right? So it's not just antibiotic resistant bacteria, but when foodborne bacteria are resistant to antibiotics, it becomes much harder to treat them, so they become more of a threat. Mm-hmm. And livestock again is. Frequently, a source of foodborne bacteria, even on produce. I think the, the cantaloupe example you gave was traced back to a truck that had driven in or, or driven through a, a, a feed lot and had then um, driven to this cantaloupe um, farm, and that that became you know was a suspected original source of the of the bacteria. Wow. So and, and, you know, I've heard other stories like that of um, produce, you know, vegetable farms that are near animal operations where pathogens are suspect to ha- suspected to have blown onto the fields in dust or carried there by birds or insects and, again, you know, escaped from uh, an animal feedlot and, and made it into the food supply.
3: Mm-hmm. And, then, of
2: course, the bacteria on the meat itself have, has also been um, cause for a lot of. Um, health safety uh, risks and, um, you know, food scares. Last Mm -hmm. year, uh, Cargill had to recall 36 million pounds of ground turkey Mm -hmm. after after it was discovered to carry um, antibiotic-resistant salmonella. And that recall, um, you know, that uh, food poisoning incident sickened, I think, about 130 people and, and killed one of them.
1: Wow. that's You know, I have, to, I have to wonder if there aren't places where antibiotic use has been banned and that there's a different story. Talk to us about case studies where they're not using uh, non-therapeutic antibiotics in livestock and what's happened in those places.
2: Well, we like to talk about Denmark as an example. I think it's always hard to sell Americans on a success story in Europe. On anything, uh, I know. (laughs) You know, okay, it's Denmark, but they actually have a very industrialized pork industry. uh, Pork is one of their leading uh, product exports. I think 90% of their pork is exported. It's a very important industry to that country. And they um, had a a wake-up call in the 1990s that mainstream you know, that, that antibiotic use in Denmark was breeding antibiotic-resistant bacteria that was sickening workers and people, and the, the government imposed uh, some regulations, and the industry voluntarily um, agreed to stop uh, using antibiotics for non-therapeutic purposes. And since then, in Denmark, they have reduced their antibiotic use by 60% in their pork production, and they have increased pork production by 50%. So, you know, over the, over a decade, they cut their antibiotic use. They more than cut their use in half, and yet their industry continues to thrive and has, has grown by 50%. So it's a real success story, and, and they did it by improving the management practices in their facilities. They didn't go out of business or, you know, return to... Uh, prehistoric uh, livestock production method. They did it by increasing uh, sanitation, reducing stress, reducing crowding, and it's, uh, it's a pretty dramatic success story. They've well, let me also ask you this, able- John.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted yeah. to ask, you know, some people are afraid that might drive the price up if we make these sweeping changes. What happened to the price of
2: pork in Denmark? Well, that's the best Denmark. part of the story. There, I think in pork production, there are their cost increases uh, have gone up about 1%. That's so not much. That, that's not a huge price to pay um, to keep life-saving medicines working. In poultry, I think the the cost was even less than that. There have been lots of studies done uh, in Europe and here in the United States which show that if we were to eliminate antibiotic use, the price um, the additional cost to producers is actually very small. It's you know usually on the magnitude of a few pennies per pound. Mm-hmm. So, and the actually, argument that them, we
1: all will starve if we make these changes is.
2: Yeah, pretty the livestock much industry does no. it, has to have these drugs. that um, yeah. you know, They're needed to keep the animals healthy and uh, keep their systems efficient, etc.
1: Well, we've got to take a quick commercial break, but when we come back, we'll be talking with Jonathan about things that you and I, as everyday Americans, can do to have an impact on this issue. So don't go away, folks. There's an important segment of Go Green Radio right after this.
2: Talk,
0: talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Racism, Healing, Oneness of Humankind. It is time to join millions of people all over the world who openly talk about racial healing. Some of us are not sure how to tread when discussing race and culture until now. Tune in to A Safe Place to Talk About Race with host Sharon E. Davis. Engage with experts and notables. Have a question but are not sure how to ask it? Test it out with our show. It's a safe harbor to explore views and situations that we face every day. A safe place to talk about race airs live every Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com
1: Welcome back to Go Green Radio. I think I'm going to call this segment the Power to the People segment because this is the time when we're going to talk about what you can do as an everyday American and as an average consumer in this country to have an impact on this issue of the overuse of antibiotics in livestock. We're going to be talking about some of the things you can do with your money, things you can do in your food prep and some other encouraging things to let you know that there's a lot that you can do to have an impact on this issue. So, Jonathan, let's talk about, first of all, some of the various labels that consumers can look for if they want to purchase safer meat products. Help us avoid some of the confusing or misleading labels and find the best ones.
2: Sure. Uh, you do have some choices as a consumer. Uh, obviously, organic meats are a great option because organic standards prohibit the use of antibiotics in producing those animals, so organic, eggs, milk, fresh meat, um, a great option. There are also lots of products available that have a no antibiotics administered or used label. Now, that's a, um, a good bet. One problem, however, is that those labels are typically not third party certified. That's the you know, the the industry's or the company's own claim. Sometimes you'll see those labels accompanied by a little statement that says USDA process verified. And that means that USDA has actually inspected and verified the label claim. So look for organic or um, uh no antibiotics used, USDA process verified. Those are great choices for the for your meat production uh you know this might be a good time to just flag you know go back to that meatless mondays anecdote that we were talking about earlier and and you know ask people to think about how much meat they're eating and if adding some you know additional uh vegetable dishes or plant protein options into the mix wouldn't be a bad idea i think we have um, you know, good reason to think about how much meat we're eating as a society here, given the fact that uh, meat has such a big impact on our environment in terms of uh, pollution, water, energy, greenhouse gases, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, once you buy your meat, there are definitely some things you need to do to make sure you stay safe when you're, you know, bringing it home and, and preparing it in the kitchen.
1: Mm-hmm. Do we have to we, char our meat? I mean, I, I'm hoping that I can still enjoy a nice, juicy steak and that
2: I don't yeah, have to char it to
1: ashes. That. What do we do? <laughs> I think
2: don't char your steak. Uh, you know, USDA publishes guidelines for all of this, and if you just Google uh, USDA and, you know, safe cooking temperatures, I think you'll come up with um, meat-specific uh, guidance. And, you know, a lot of this um, people already know, you do have to cook your meat. And if you do that, you will kill the bacteria that's going to be on the meat when you buy it. Mm -hmm. But what's maybe less obvious to people is that, uh, the, the bacteria that are on the meat that you buy can, um, you know, transfer to other surfaces in your kitchen, to other food in your grocery bag. So for example, um, and I actually didn't realize this, um, USDA recommends that when you buy fresh meat at the store, you don't let the cashier put it in the same bag as your produce, even if you've got it all wrapped up in plastic um, and, you know, you think it's kind of safe. In fact, a lot of the plastic bags you get at the grocery store, they leak. They're not designed to be completely airtight or watertight. Wow. You know what?
1: As a mom, I've got to say, all of us using reusable bags better wash those and designate the ones you're going to use for meat because I didn't know that either. And now I'm thinking, besides just cross-contaminating at the grocery store, if you're reusing your tote bags to to carry your groceries, designate the meat ones and wash them. I'm glad you brought that up, Jonathan. I hadn't thought of that before.
2: Yeah. I'm getting educated here too. We have um, a chef in our office this summer. He's doing a fellowship with us. And he asked me, so... Jonathan, uh, you have two cutting boards at home, right? One just for meat. And I was like, really? I'm supposed to have two cutting boards? But, (laughs) yes, um, that's another USDA recommendation. Uh, You know, some of the cutting boards, like I guess the plastic ones, are very hard to sterilize after you're cutting raw chicken on it. And uh, you'll do better with, with wood, but the safest route is just to have a separate one that's dedicated only to prepping your meat.
1: Wow. That's Um, a good point.
2: You know, things like where you put the meat in your refrigerator. Uh, He says in a restaurant, for example, if you are storing raw meat on a shelf above your produce where there's potential for, you know, a drip to drop from the meat onto the produce, he said a a, a health inspector would shut down your restaurant if they found that. Wow. That's how serious that is. So. In your refrigerator, you know, don't make the same mistake. Keep your meat at the bottom of the fridge safely wrapped up and not near your fresh produce where you've got potential for an exposure risk.
1: Fantastic advice. You know, Jonathan, a lot of our listeners, you know, like I said, they're everyday people. We don't get to choose who leads the FDA. Um, In terms of the regulatory piece of this issue, what are the top two or three things that average Americans can do to impact this issue. uh, What can
2: we do? So you can do two things today. Um, Okay. We are supporting a campaign that was started by Consumers Union urging Trader Joe's to sell only antibiotic-free meats. So all of your listeners can right now go to meatwithoutdrugs.org. Okay. So meatwithoutdrugs.org. You can... You know, with a couple of clicks, send a letter to Trader Joe's, ask them to do the right thing. Whole Foods has already done this. Whole Foods has gone completely antibiotic-free in all of the meat that you'll find in those stores. And we think Trader Joe's can do the same thing, so this is a great time to let them know that you care and you want them to to make the right choice. The other thing you can do is go to our website at nrdc.org slash food and you'll you'll be able to find a link to let FDA know that you want real regulations of this issue. We have sued FDA. We won in court this year. A federal judge threw the book at the agency and said, what are you doing? You have to regulate these drugs. You're required to by law. You've found a health threat. You can't ignore this problem. And yet FDA has appealed our lawsuit, having lost it, they've now appealed it, and they're going forward with a a voluntary scheme to allow industry to decide um, when or if it should reduce the use of these drugs. So letting FDA know that that is unacceptable would also be a great thing for your listeners to do.
1: And that's something that you can all commit to in terms of your social media contacts. Spread the word. Um, Within a a few hours, a day or so, the uh, archived broadcast of this uh, Go Green Radio segment will be available. You can tweet it out. You can put it on your Facebook page. um, And we'd love for you to do that. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us. And thanks to our listeners for joining us as well. I hope that you'll all choose some actions that you can take in your own homes with your own families to protect your health and the health of your family. Thanks again for listening to Go Green Radio. We'll be here same time, same place next week. Until then, have a great week and do something in your life to go green.